0: a Springfox production. This is Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. Hi, I'm Simon Cook and welcome to Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. For those of you who are regular Resilience Real Time listeners, I'm delighted to have with me again Peter Sigley, Chief Knowledge Officer from Springfox. She comes with a stack of professional qualifications from psychology, counselling to economics, and has a real depth of expertise in resilience and much more as well. In our last podcast, we saw the impacts that leadership trust can have on organisations. Today, I'm going to take the opportunity to speak to Peter about how resilience differs for age groups and gender. Hi, Peter. How are you?
1: Hi, Simon. Thanks very much for having me.
0: I've bit nervous about this and I think this one will be really interesting and so I think we should probably jump right in and I'll be a bit careful as we go. Let me start with the obvious question. Does people's resilience differ by age?
1: Simon, I think you're um, very wise to be a bit cautious. These topics can be pretty emotive and what we're looking at is where our research sits and the body of research sits. So we're not passing judgment on any of the comments that we're making. But it is interesting and really quite relevant information for many, many people. So let me answer your question up front. Yes, it does differ. So on the whole, we tend to become more resilient as we age. We need to have those experiences through life to continue to develop resilience. And what we're doing is building on the level of resilience that we were born with. So this has certainly been our research and that of others like Dr. Mark Agronin who is a geiatric psychiatrist. And as he points out, that whilst we might slow down physically as we age, it's not all downhill. And that's a bit of a bonus for some of us. We continue to develop, and what we know is we evolve our view of the world. And as such, we certainly get better at looking at different points of view, weighing up our options, as opposed to just going head first into a situation. The other thing that really comes to play, and that really is, supporting us is that we don't tend to be as emotionally reactive but we are better able to reflect on our experiences so this is gain is one of those upsides
0: to aging so that's great what does this look like then and are one group better than another if it differs by age
1: i'd hate to say that one is better than the other but what i can tell you is what we found from the research so our global report with some twenty one thousand participants worldwide found that there was a very distinct difference in self-reported resilience levels by age group. Consistently, our research has found that younger people have lower levels of resilience than those who are older. So if we were to break it down and we were to look at resilience in terms of things that uh, compromise resilience and things that enhance resilience, I can give you some insight as to what it looks like across the different age groups. So if we look at what compromises our resilience, we see our younger age groups reporting greater levels of sleep delay, issues around sleep, and sleep delay is only one aspect of those issues. So poor sleep quality and duration have certainly been found to reduce resilience, and in addition it can also be a factor in increasing the risk of developing anxiety and or depression In addition, our younger age groups report higher levels of boredom and disengagement. So, when we talk disengagement, we're really talking disengagement as a result of mental overload. And it is concerning to see those figures around, particularly boredom, because we know that the impacts of boredom are lower levels of curiosity, particularly given to others, and it also impacts our level of creativity and innovation. Unfortunately, our younger cohort also tend to report higher levels of being self-critical and report higher rates of worry. And that certainly came out to play in our COVID survey. And this is definitely feeding that space of burnout, which is really prevalent today. And we've reported a lot on burnout and been asked for expert opinion on burnout uh, for many articles. So when we're looking at compromising resilience, there's a few factors at play there. When we look at the flip side and we look at the assets to resilience, what we can see is that the levels of those factors are generally quite high. But again, the older generations tend to outperform all other age cohorts uh, in the study. So, what they do do really well is the areas around focus, decisiveness, purpose, and flow. And all of that is supported by emotional agility.
0: So, what exactly is emotional agility, Beta?
1: Good question, Simon. Uh, Emotional agility is where we have that self-awareness of our emotions and our thinking, and we're working with them in a way that is mindful. Um, We underpin that with values, so we're values-driven, and they are productive in, in where they take us. The opposite, of course, is true, is when we get caught up in our emotions and our thoughts, and we may find ourselves underplaying the negative and overplaying the positive but we're not moving forward in a productive manner. We don't have that agility around emotional insight.
0: Thank you. So older people are more resilient for a number of reasons, including their natural experience in life. Then, But what about our millennials? What about them? Is there more to say there?
1: So again, yes, to confirm, we do continue to have opportunity to develop and grow and build resilience as we get older. So where to for our millennials? And I'll focus more on our millennials as opposed to our really young because I think we probably should do a session in our podcast series around teenagers and younger children when it comes to resilience. So millennials are really, really strong on purpose and that's one of the gifts they bring to a cohort, a society, a community, a workplace and they are really keen to see real change at a societal level. So they operate with genuine passion and concern for the environment and humanity, and that shouldn't be dismissed. What we are wanting to continue to see is them to reach out beyond a perceived level of skill or step outside their comfort zone to really stretch their perception of what else is possible. So that sense of purpose, that strong purpose that drives them forward, we definitely want to see that continue. But what we also need to be taking into account, and our millennials would do well to work on, is that ability to take time to reflect on situations. What went well? What didn't work? To understand where to from here, and how they're going to get there. So, remembering that building resilience is all about adaptation and growth after an event. So, unless we give ourselves permission and time to do that reflection, to do that self-awareness work, then we're missing a real opportunity around resilience. Um, In terms of research, what we also know is that millennials continue to report really high levels of stress. You know, and that's fair enough too, because the reality is that they are establishing their careers, they're starting new relationships and families, and with all the expectations and media around what that should look like, there's a whole level of expectation there. And certainly establishing financial security. And what this tends to mean is that most of the time they're spending their time thinking about the future. What if, what if, what if. The first step to building resilience for our millennials is to spend more time in the present. Increasing awareness of thoughts and feelings, because what we know is that when we're in the present, we have our greatest degree of choice, and that goes a long way to mastering our stress response. So the flow-on impact of all of that is that it'll increase levels of happiness. Deloitte did a great global millennial survey, 2020, and actually named millennials as one of the unhappiest generations. So we really wanna shift that. We really wanna see increased levels of happiness, And that impacts then levels of physical and psychological health. And we start to move forward with positivity, optimism, clarity of purpose. And so I suppose, in summary, what I'd like to say is that we know that when we invest in resilience for our younger people, it's good for them and it's good for business.
0: Absolutely, sounds that. So let's change gears. So does resilience differ by gender?
1: Yes, again, it does differ by gender. There are 60 factors that contribute to resilience and they do differ by gender. So what do we know? Um, Men are reporting high levels of decisiveness, focus, influence, and tactical calm. They're the things that they see as being very strong within their own capability. Women, on the other hand, report really high levels in positivity, insight, connection, and compassion. So in terms of compassionate leadership, we're not saying that men are better than women or women are better than men. What we're actually asking of our leaders is that they have all these skills. So we're really quite um, demanding when it comes to our leaders and what we'd like for them and from them. Interestingly enough, though, consistently since 2009, ongoing in terms of our longitudinal research, is that we see that women are experiencing
0: far more levels of distress than men. So, and I'm being a bit careful as I ask this, is one gender... Actually, better than another? I know you've already said no, but really, Peter, is one gender actually better than the other? Simon, you are
1: very naughty, and I'm not going to fall for your little trick. I'm going to sidestep again and say to you, actually, no, it's not one gender is better than the other. We spoke about differences in the asset factors between male and female, the things that contribute to resilience, but we also probably need to look at what compromises resilience. And there's a few things that we need to consider so what we know is that women are reporting higher levels of overload levels of withdrawal fatigue sleep delay and distress symptoms and when i talk distress symptoms i'm talking things like headaches uh, and that's certainly at a higher level than what men are reporting so this doesn't mean that women are not capable i really would hate people to walk away from the podcast and think that that's what we're saying that's not what we're saying what we're saying is that we need to probably take a broader view and consider some of the external factors that will actually contribute to why women are reporting these higher levels of distress than their male counterparts. So one of those things is being mindful of the fact that when we have greater decision-making, we certainly feel more in control. And this is reflected in our perceived resilience levels. So we need to look at, particularly within a work context, where is that decision-making resting and what ability and representation do women have to be part of that conversation? So in 2017, Grant Thornton released a report looking at women in business, and they stated on what they were looking at were the number of women in senior leadership positions. So worldwide at that time, women held only one out of every four senior positions. Thankfully, this is improving and their latest report published in uh, 2019 looked at the fact that that representation now went from 1 in 4 to 29% of senior management roles being held by women. And that's actually the highest number on record, which is fantastic. Still a long way to go, but we're moving forward. So 87% of global businesses have at least one woman in a senior management role in 2019 uh, is what was reported. And whilst that's fantastic, what I'm actually looking at exploring and trying to understand it in a bit more detail is what exactly were those senior management positions? Did the majority of women still sit within that caregiving space? Were they associated with the role of human resources, for example? Or was there, in fact, greater representation of women across all roles? So were we seeing a greater representation uh, such as the head of engineering, the head of finance, the CEO? That's certainly a factor that I would look at uh, influencing women.
0: Okay, so great progress, but obviously further to go. Are there other factors at play here?
1: There are other factors at play. Um, one of the other contributors that we know to uh, resilience is our ability to recover. So, And we know that the majority of that recovery actually happens at home. Whilst we build in great practices for teams and for organisations and for individuals to do through their day, that really the majority of recovery actually happens at home. And so when recovery is compromised, we know that resilience is compromised. So part of that conversation is that we need to look at the distribution of caregiver and household duties. Women still are disproportionately doing the majority of these tasks as well as working. And so when this is the case, there's very little time for self-investment and recovery. So. Those distress symptoms that we are seeing reported uh, are not surprising on the back of the consideration of this particular factor. What we also know is this is compounded when we start to look at broader societal change, in particular, family unit composition. Our definition of family has long since moved away from married mum and dad and two kids. And this has been happening for the last couple of decades across the world. And with this change also comes challenge. The change in family structure is evident when we start to look at census data in particular. So in the 2016 Australian census, there were some 6 million families recorded as part of that census. And 16% of those families were headed as single parent families, which is probably surprising for a lot of people. Of those single parent families, 82% of those family units were headed by women. So there's a huge load on women which is really compromising that ability to invest in self-care and recovery. And Whilst it's not the full story, it certainly draws a point of focus for us to consider how do we go about supporting resilience when it comes to gender.
0: I think that's fantastic. There's really no difference between genders and there's some areas in age to think about. And I know I make a bit of a habit about asking this question of you, but if I'm a leader... What should I be thinking about around age and gender when I'm leading my team?
1: So for a leader, it is very much at the forefront of the diversity conversation. So we talk about diversity in age, in gender and cultural background, in thinking styles. Diversity is a big topic for us to incorporate into our leadership conversation. And what we know is that teams and their performance are definitely reflected in the level of diversity that may be contained within that unit. So we're looking at how we can consider the views of all and integrate that information into a well-functioning team. So we're utilising various forms of communication and technology to suit all staff. We're customising our relationships and the way we interact with people across the different groups so that we're in inclusive in the way that we communicate with our teams, with our staff. And we're developing mentoring opportunities, building on the needs of the specific team members. And that is super powerful when we have a really good mentoring program going. So leaders would be really well-versed to try and harness and create value from their diversity. When we do that, we can see greater collaboration and creativity. We see a reduction in staff turnover. And interestingly enough, it's been shown that diverse teams are certainly more likely to not only recognise, but be able to shift to meet the needs and expectations of clients, which means that we've got increased productivity, profitability, and we've got an organisation thriving well.
0: Well, thanks, Peter. I think that was really good. I don't think we really stop very often to think about the real differences that we face in age and gender when it comes to resilience. And so I found this to be very thought provoking. As always, thanks for taking us through this conversation and bringing us all a pretty new focus.
1: Thanks, Simon. It is a topic that I'm really passionate and enthusiastic about and um, one I think we need definitely more conversation around. I think it's about acknowledging individual differences and looking to see how we can accommodate that, regardless of whether that is by age or gender or any other element that we may bring
0: to a conversation or a team. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Join us next time when Peter will be talking about the role our emotions play in resilience. Until then, keep well. This is a Spring Fox production, hosted by me, Simon Cook, edited by Claire Taylor, music written, composed and produced by Josh Jones. Tune in next time wherever you find your podcasts or check out our website, springfox.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to help others find this podcast.